We are so glad you've joined us today for our Sunday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we are continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke, so let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Soon your trials will be over. And so, John lifts Jesus up as being superior in his person, superior in his baptism. And now John presents him as superior in his final judgment in verse 17 of Luke 3. He says, his winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Again, John does not know who's really sincere in his message of repentance. And he wants them to understand, you can fool him, but you're not going to be able to fool Jesus. He's the one that's going to know who's those who are truly his. And it'll be at the last day of the judgment that he will be able to separate the wheat from the chaff. And so he gives this example here. And this bears repeating because I mentioned this last week. You can fool me, but I don't count. You could fool the people around you that you're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't count. You cannot fool God. You can't fool him. And so he gives this picture, and it shows uh, um, at the right hand of the Father that, that Jesus himself knows the heart of every individual. And this picture is before us of the great harvest. The grain is plucked. It's brought to the threshing floor where it is trodden by the oxen. Jesus is the harvester who comes in takes up the winnowing fork and tosses the grain and chaff upwards so the wind can blow it aside. You would do this uh, on a hillside where there'd be a breeze. And so you would take it and you'd throw it up and the heavier kernels would fall to the ground, the grain, but the chaff that has been broken up by the oxen treading on it, the outer husk would blow to the side. And then he would gather up the the kernels, the, the, the real grains of wheat itself and bring it into the barn safely while the chaff would then be gathered and burned. And he's talking about real believers, sincere believers being the kernels, but he's talking about those false believers as being the chaff that will be burned and taken away. And this is what Jesus is going to do at the judgment. And then verse 18 through 20 says this about John. Luke goes and gives a a quick little summary of the rest of John's ministry. Um, We'll hit more on the rest of John's ministry in Luke chapter 7. But he says this, And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut John up in prison. Basically, John, in front of the multitudes, was also saying about what the the leaders uh, were doing that were wrong. And Herod was a guy who took his brother's wife, Herodias, and John said he shouldn't do that. Herod proclaims himself to be a Jew. He says, well, a Jew, you know the, the law, you shouldn't do that. And he doesn't like that accountability from John, and so he shuts him up in prison. And then you have verse 21 through 22. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And the voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Now, This begs the question, why does Jesus have to be baptized? We know why we have to be baptized, but why does Jesus have to be baptized? The reason why Jesus needs to be baptized, remember, baptism speaks of identification. Jesus came in human form in order to bear the human condition, although sinless. 
So when Jesus is being baptized, what he is saying is, I'm identifying with you as human beings, as sinner in need of repentance. And so while we identify with him in baptism, he also identifies with us. And so that is why he needs to be baptized, even though he's sinless, because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, here we have a very important doctrine of the Christian faith. We see um, all three persons in the Godhead working here. We see the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form like a dove. We see it descends upon the person, Jesus. And we see God speak here who says, You are my beloved Son, and you I'm well pleased. Here we have all three persons of the Godhead working in complete harmony, which speaks of the Trinity or I like to better say it, the triunity of God. This is very, very important that we understand this Christian doctrine of the triunity of God. Christianity uses many different words for, um, for different doctrines in the word of God. I've heard people say, well, Trinity is not even in the Bible, to which I respond, you know what else isn't in the Bible? Uh, the word Bible. But the Bible is in reference to Genesis through Revelation, which is there. And so Trinity is in reference to what we see plainly taught in God's word. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's a word for God dwelling in man. It's called the incarnation, but the word incarnation isn't in the word of God either. And so it's just a word that we use to describe a teaching in God's word. And so we, we see the Trinity in God's word. Now, I don't know about you, but this is how simplistic I am, and maybe this helps you or not. But when I see an orange, and when I, um, when I see an orange, when I smell an orange, when I taste an orange, you know the conclusion I come to? It's an orange. I'm just letting you know how my mind works. So when I see in God's word that God the Father is God, that God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God, you know the conclusion I get to? That all three are God. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity has been around from the very beginning of the church. We see it in all the creeds. We see it with the the church fathers such as Ignatius in first century, Justin Martyr in the second century, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, all these church fathers, just to name a few, they all understood and taught the Trinity. The Trinity, or the triunity of God, is described like this. Three persons in one God. This is not a contradiction. A contradiction occurs when something is A and non-A at the same time. That's not what's being said here. We are not saying three persons in one person. We're not saying three natures in one nature. We are saying three persons in one nature, and that nature being God is what we are saying here. Now, again, I'm more simplistic, and so there are certain things that help me understand this. One of them is, and not every picture is perfect in this way, but it helps me. I look at God as being 180 degrees, and I look at him as being, in a sense, to picture it in my own mind, a triangle that has three 60 degrees angles. Yeah, that's right, 60 degrees, right? I wasn't confident there for a moment, but it is 60. That equals 180. It's the good math that I know, yeah. So, but if you look at the triangle as one, but it has three separate angles, they are all, those angles are not the same. 
Even though they are the same, they're not the same in the sense that they are distinct from one another. But they're all 60 degrees, and they all form a triangle. That helps me. That's all I'm saying. That helps me. The Trinity is very much a mystery. It goes beyond reason, but it does not go against reason. Okay? It doesn't go against reason. God is infinite. And, and this might uh, blow some of your minds, but I am not. <laughs> okay? So now you have a finite being that is trying to understand the infinite God in all his wisdom and majesty and mystery of who he is. It just ain't going to be accomplished in the many years that I have here on earth. It's just not going to happen. And it's not going to happen with any of you either. So we have to go back on what we do know. There's a lot of things we don't know, but then we need to go back on what we do know. And this is what we do know. The Word of God does teach God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Word does teach that. Now I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24. I can't give you all of these. We don't have enough time, but I'm just going to give you some of the things that we have here. And and I promise you we'll go over this in much more detail at a later time. Um, I was talking to John earlier and I said, I'll probably be teaching the Trinity maybe six more times here in Luke because I know that it will keep coming up and I know that we'll always have new people here. And so, um, you know, and maybe I'll be able to go a little bit deeper and deeper when when I do. But in Jeremiah 23, verse 24, it says this, or verse 23, Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? So we're speaking about God here. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? He is everywhere. It speaks of his omnipresence. God is everywhere. Now, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 28. This is the Great Commission. Verse 18, Jesus came, spoke to them. This is in his uh, resurrected state. Uh, It says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing, so we need to be baptized, them in the name. You should have that circle. It's in the singular. In the name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What is that singular name? God. Three persons, in the name, it doesn't say names. It's not in the plural. And so that right there speaks of the Trinity, three in one. Three persons, one God. And then it goes on, it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, if Jesus is not omnipresence here, then everywhere, then how can he be with me and you at the same time? How can that be? Unless Jesus is omnipresent. Now, is there anything that you know of that's omnipresent besides God, that fills the heavens and the earth and everywhere that we go? Angels don't do that. Nothing created has ever done that. Only that which cannot be created, which speaks of God, can do that. He's the only one. He's the only one. I want you to go to Psalm 139, verse 7. Speaking about the Lord here, about God, David is kind of going, search me and know me. You know my sitting down, my rising up here in Psalm 139. And then he says this in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The spirit speaks of the presence of God. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? How can I hide? 
You can't. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is omnipresent as well. That's a characteristic of God and only God. It has to be that way. Can I explain it? Just as I'm doing here, if it looks like an orange, if it smells like an orange, if you cut into it and taste it and it's an orange, guess what? It's an orange. The Word of God definitely speaks of and teaches God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. We see this with uh, omnipotence as well as being all-powerful. And so it, it speaks of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that way. When it comes to the eternality of God, Psalm 90 verse 2 speaks about that with the Father. It also with the Son, we see this in John 8, 58 as well as Hebrews 7, 3. We see that He's eternal. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 9, 14 tells us that He is eternal. That's a characteristic of God. When you go through the Word of God and you see God described as truth, we also see Jesus as described as truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We also see the Holy Spirit being described as truth in John 16, 13, as well as 1 John 5, verses 6 through 7. We see Jesus, we see God the Father be called God, we see Jesus being called God, and we see the Holy Spirit being called God. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, and, and 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, says that about the Spirit. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to the disciples. And, and we always call him Doubting Thomas, but I would have called him Unlucky Thomas because he wasn't there, you know. He wasn't there when he appeared to, to the others. And so they came to him. They were excited and said, oh, Thomas, you should have been there. But we saw Jesus, our risen Savior. And what did he say? Unless I see the holes in his hands and I can put my finger in the hole in his side, I will not believe. Have you ever done that before? I will never. And then within 24 hours, you're doing whatever you said you never do. I think God likes that. I, I joke a lot because my, my wife did that. My wife, before she met me, said, I will never, ever um, go to a Christian college. She went to a Christian college. Said, I'll never marry a minister. And I'll never drive a minivan. She's driven three. We've, not anymore, though. We've gotten her out of that stage. Never said, unless I, I will never. And, and what does he do? He sees the Lord. He's up in the upper room. Jesus appears again. Thomas sees him. What does he say in verse 28 of John 20? My Lord and my God. The word God, that theos. It's a word that only speaks of God. And Jesus does not correct him. He doesn't correct him. Why? Because Jesus is God. When you read the word of God, you find out that God the Father created the heavens and the earth. You know what else you find out? You find out that the Son also created the heavens and the earth. John 1, 3. And then you find out the Holy Spirit also created the heavens and the earth, according to Psalm 104, verse 30. When it came to Christ's resurrection, you find out that God, the Father, was responsible for it, according to 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Then you find out that Jesus is the one that's responsible for his resurrection, John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. And then you find out, no, it was the Spirit who was responsible for the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Romans 1.4 and Romans 8.11. Who's responsible for his resurrection? Who's responsible for the creation of the world? The Bible says that all three... Well, how can that be unless all three are God? 
And if they're not, then there's a contradiction there. There's a contradiction there. We see that when it comes to giving eternal life. Romans 6.23 says God gives eternal life. John 10.28 says Jesus gives eternal life. Galatians 6.8 says the Holy Spirit gives eternal life. Again, unless all three are God, that would not make sense. This is what the Bible teaches. I want you to go to John chapter 8. You know about the book of John and how there are seven I am statements there where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread, I am, I am uh, the vine, and, and things like that. I actually think that there's eight because I think that this would qualify it with this. But in chapter 8 of John, Jesus says this to the Jews. He says in verse 21 that Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You'll notice in your Bible there that the word he there is italicized. The reason why it's italicized is because someone decided to uh, put that in and it's not in the original Greek. And they decided to put that in because they actually thought they were helping clarify that Jesus is saying he's the Messiah here. That's not what Jesus is saying here. If you take out the word he there, you'll find out it brings better clarity to what it is he is trying to say. He says right here, he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Where have you heard that word I am before? Well, you'll remember at the burning bush that Moses stood there, and as he's being sent out, that you're going to be the redeemer of Israel. What is it that Moses says? Oh, by the way, who do I say is sending me here? And what is it that God says? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me. Whoa. Why I am? Because I am is the, uh, contains the tense of the verb to be. It means I was, I am, I will always be. It speaks of the eternality of God. Jesus is saying, I am. He's saying he's God. I always bring Jehovah Witnesses to here. I bring other people here that just believe that Jesus is a great prophet. He's one of the angels. He's the... No, he is God. And unless you believe that, you cannot be saved. You're going to die in your sins. You can't believe anything you want about Jesus. You have to believe what the Bible tells you about Jesus. This is what the Bible says. He is God. I want you to go to Acts chapter 28. Keep your finger there, Acts chapter 28. And then go to Isaiah 6 so you can see this. Paul is going to quote... What is being said here in Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6 is when Isaiah has been taken up to the throne room of God. And so he's up there in the throne room of God and the, and the angel is, is you know, flying around and, and is in front of the throne room of God. And it says here in verse 3, and he cried to one another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Personally, I've heard this taught before and I have no um, reason to dismiss it or think otherwise. But when the Jews teach this, they will say that when things are spoken of in threes, it's just to emphasize the greatness of God, oh, the holiness of God. I, I don't disagree with that. But I also believe that it's spoken in threes here because of three persons, 
holy to God the Father, holy to God the Son, and holy to, to the Holy Spirit. I believe that the angels are given all three of them honor right here. Going further down, it says in verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. Whom shall I send who will go for us? And they said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, you do not understand. Keep on seeing, you do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. Make their ears heavy, they shut their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? So who is speaking to him right now? God is. God is speaking to him. God is the one that has said this. Well, look at when Paul quotes this. It says in verse 25, Paul says this. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. So he quotes right there. And who does Paul said spoke to Isaiah? He said the Spirit did. Well, unless the Spirit is God, you have a contradiction here. But unless the Spirit is God, there is no contradiction. This is what I mean when I say when you go through the Word of God, I can't, you know, I, I can't tell you everything that is going on here when it comes to the Trinity, but I can tell you that the Trinity is firmly taught in the Word of God. That all these attributes and characteristics of God is spoken of for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you have three distinct personalities, yet they are one in nature. They are God. Now I'm going to end with this because I think this is is very, very important. The Jews have their battle cry of the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And so, in a lot of synagogues around the world, they will actually say, the Lord is one, 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 and they will say it over and over again in a way to kind of dispute that understanding that we as Christians have of there being Three persons in one God. But by that very verse, it actually proves the Trinity. The Lord is one. The word for one there is a Hebrew word called ikad. It speaks of a, uh, a compound unity, a plurality of unity. Well, Dave, what do you mean by that? Well, we all know the verse in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and it's speaking about Adam and Eve, and the two shall become what? One, what is that word? Ikad. Two becoming one. We see it again in Exodus when it's talking about the little class, the rings, 50 of them, to make one curtain, ikad. We also see it in Ezekiel 37 when God is saying, I want you to take these two sticks, and one speaking of Judah and one Ephraim, and you're going to bring them together as one. The word is ikad. And yet, if God wanted to use one as in the way of only one, there's another Hebrew word. It's yakid. And that is spoken when God tells Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, yakid. So that verse in Deuteronomy 6, 4 actually proves the Trinity. It does not take away from that. In the Old Testament, this is who God is. And we need to understand this. And if you don't believe this, Yes, you're dead in your sins. You have to believe that Jesus is God. Neither death nor even life 
Well, that concludes today's edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in next Sunday as we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at the 5 p.m. service on Saturday. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station, right across from Starbucks. For more information about us on this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thanks again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Amen.